Welcome to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. I'm Sophia. And I'm Juliana. And we're really excited and honestly a little nervous to bring an episode today about the church. Yeah, this is another one of those mammoth topics where I really sense our own uh, personal, theological, honestly, existential inadequacy. (laughs) Um, But that's not new, so I'm not going to let it hold us back here today. And I received just beautiful confirmation this morning or an illustration of the importance of this topic that we've been reflecting on in preparation for this episode. I'm visiting my parents and we went to Sunday Mass at my childhood parish where I was baptized. And I happened to be here for the installation of their new pastor. And it was a stunningly beautiful liturgy. I mean, from start to finish, in part just because I was there with my parents and siblings, like in the place where I was baptized and so deeply aware of my own personal history. Um, It was also the gospel about Jesus wanting to set fire to the world, which is one of my favorites. And so... That was beautiful, reflecting on what it means that the Lord's heart is a fire. Um, and the new pastor gave a great homily on that. And he was actually installed by a family friend of ours who married Julie. Mm. Wow. But amidst all of these incredibly beautiful aspects of the Mass, the one that moved me the most was actually the installation itself. It was right after the Nicene Creed. The new pastor professed like this additional act of faith in the teachings of and the authority of the Catholic Church, and made an oath of fidelity um, to everything that the Church proclaims and that the Conference of Bishop proclaims. And, And it was so beautiful because it hit me in that moment, like, this is how my encounter with Christ is secured, through the fidelity of those whom God has chosen as his authorities, like Mm -hmm. from the Pope and the Cardinals down to the pastor of my local parish and my parents, my friends, like the presence of the church comes to me through these faces and takes this particular form. Like this is the way that the risen Lord enters into friendship with me. And yet for that, like for the authenticity of this encounter, for for me to truly be certain that it is the presence of Christ, like I need this tradition that stretches back to Christ himself. And so I was struck in listening to his promises by this this intense awareness of our responsibility as a parish, not that it's my parish now, but that parish community to pray for him in in this fidelity, but also like the mercy of God that he doesn't leave this up to our subjectivity, right? Or our own like ability to arrive at the truth just through our isolated reason, but that there is this presence in the flesh outside of us that secures that which our heart longs for the most, So, yeah, so I'm really grateful that we have the chance now to have a conversation about what the church is. This is definitely not a mystery that I've always uh, lived well or had the greatest charity towards. And so I'm looking forward to learning even further from from you guys today and to sharing uh, some thoughts with our listeners. Yeah, I love what you're saying. I mean, the priest for me, among other things, it's just such a visible sign of the unity of the church and the Pope, like the preeminent Mm -hmm. sign. And we need these like symbols to be in our material life. Otherwise, if it's just cognitive, like we'll fall into separation. Yeah. Yeah. The image that Jusani uses for this is uh, the circulatory system, which as a scientist, I'm Mm -hmm. definitely here for. Um, But he compares the life of the church to 
as St. Paul does, a body, but describes how the blood that the heart pumps so that all of the limbs can be a living organism reaches the extremities of the body through capillaries, through these tiny blood vessels that aren't even visible to the naked eye. And yet it's precisely through these tiny vessels that the oxygen and the nutrients from the blood reach the cells and without it, they would die. And and this is our faith, like without the capillaries of our parish and our friends and for us, our CL community. And without these capillaries, we would not have a connection to the heart of Jesus and we too would die. Like there would be nothing nourishing our life of faith. This is Christ's continued presence. Sophia, I love that, well, Giussani's image of the church as the heart of the body of Christ. I think, too, I was also rereading what Don Giussani has to say about the church in preparation for this episode. And in particular, one thing that struck me as I was reading yesterday was he goes back to the Gospels and specifically when Christ appoints the disciples and then he sends them out as his hands and feet He appointed these disciples and he gave them the authority to act in his stead. Um, And in that way, those disciples were the face of Christ to the people that they met. They were Christ. Mm -hmm. This is something that is confirmed in my experience today through my experience of my relationship with the priesthood. In particular, there has been this one priest. We just moved to D.C. We've been going to new parishes. And there's this one priest that... I can't put my finger exactly on what it is, but the times I've been with him in confession, in his celebration of the liturgy, in his preaching, is so evident to me that he is Christ. He he is standing in the person of mm. Christ. And it is something that I can't explain. It's not anything in particular that he's doing or saying, but I'm so moved by the way that Christ is reaching me through this man and not just the mercy of God, but also the mercy that this priest has shown me by laying down his life and giving everything so that he could bring me these sacraments. You know, I, this always strikes me, particularly when we receive the sacraments, when we receive the sacrament of confession, we receive the Eucharist and I realize my dependence on the church and, and, and my dependence on other people saying yes to God's call, you know, not just the priests, but for those that are praying for vocations, for the families that produce the vocations, for the religious men and women who are praying for our priests to be holy and to say yes. I depend on the whole body of Christ in order to receive his forgiveness, to receive his body. And it is only in that way that I too can become part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. That, that was a lot, but that's where my mind went as you were talking, Sophia. Is this Father Bill, the one who was preaching the homilies that destroyed me every day? Yeah, I don't think you know this one. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for what you said. It reminded me of what Adriana said on the Holy Spirit episode, echoing the Gospel of John, just this litany of why it was good for us that Jesus needed to to go and return to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, Adriana, just the way that you said it, like, it has just destroyed me (laughs) for months now, praying about, like, In particular, Christ promised not to leave us orphans. And so I actually looked into a commentary on this, and the word in Greek is perhaps better translated as wards. Like, I will not leave you wards. So not only is it, I'm not dying, I'm not leaving forever, like you will not be someone who doesn't know their parents. I'm actually not going to leave you in the care of someone else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to leave you in the care of anyone but the one to whom you belong. The church is Christ. Like, as you were saying, Julie, the apostles, the chain that stretches through the centuries, each one is the presence of Christ for us now. 
thank God. But there's also a part of me that like in the past, but I still have this temptation today is scandalized by this because the priest you were talking about, Julie, like he's sinful, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sinful. Every single person in that parish today praying for the new pastor, we're all sinful. And so to say that in one breath that this is the presence of Christ and in the next to acknowledge that fact, I think is a profound work that needs to be done. Paradox. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to Bishop Barron on the church earlier this week, and he had a line that I really liked that the world so often mistakenly thinks of the church as an organization, which is a mistake. It's an organism Mm. because the church is the mystical body of Christ. And I, I liked the play on words because you do so often hear of the church solely spoken as another organization yeah. out there achieving happiness for its followers. And really what the church is mystically, but also essentially, is the, the body of Christ. And a line from scripture that really sums this up for me, John 12 when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And that Mm -hmm. Jesus has ascended into heaven and the work of the church is drawing all people to himself. It's divinizing us and helping us on our pilgrimage to the Father so that we aren't left wards, that we can't go astray. It's like a safe harbor for us as we live in this world of storminess. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you said is, is essential. And in terms of this difficulty of grappling with the presence of the human in the church, I think one way for us to approach this paradox and learn to accept it is kind of as you've outlined, verifying in our lives the fact of the presence of the divinity of the church, Mm -hmm. the presence of this life that you're talking about that God has raised up in the church and having verified that, then having the courage to look at those areas in which the presence of the human is extremely palpable because we know that that's not the final word. But as you said, like we are the continuation of the presence of Christ, not as a static, we have attained the fullness of sanctity kind of utopia, but rather as pilgrims who are striving to adhere to Christ who is the way. Like, so it's not a function of, our ability to be perfectly coherent or our ability to live out the gospel or, but a gift, a gift of the mystery who calls us to follow this path together and generates from amongst us through the Holy Spirit, a new life. Does that resonate with your own journeys of? Yeah. And I guess I also want to clarify for our listeners that like the church herself acknowledges very deeply the need for constant purification and renewal. Yeah. One of my favorite documents on church ecclesiology, which is ecclesiology's the study of the church, is Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the church that came out of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible document. And in there, it's written, the church clasping sinners to her bosom is at once holy and always need of purification. Ooh. And both are like held up and... Professor Fairberger would always say, held up in an antimony, like in a paradox of two things that are opposing, but both true of something. Wow. On this point, are you guys familiar with this poem by Carlo Caretto, which has, it speaks really beautifully to this paradox. 
and I'll never forget when I heard it because it's so powerful to me. It's very long, but I, I can share a few lines that particularly struck me. And it's, it speaks about this, I don't want to say tension, but this this reality. That I think it is a tension. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a tension. Yeah. It, it is a tension, but I don't want to suggest that it's accidental or it will be overcome before Christ comes. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tension, but it's one that is part of our reality. Proper to the structure of the form of the church. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I don't know, because the whole part is so good. But the first line is, how baffling you are, O church, and yet how I love you. Mm. How much you have made me suffer, and yet how much I owe you. And then it goes on. He says, how often I've wanted to shut the doors of my soul in your face, and how often I've prayed to die in the safety of your arms. Oh, I love that. No, I cannot free myself from you, because I am you, although not completely. And besides, where would I go? Would I establish another? I would not be able to establish it without the same faults, for they are the same faults I carry in me. Mm. And if I did establish another, it would be my church, not the church of Christ. The church has the power to make me holy, but it is made up from the first to the last only of sinners. And what sinners? (laughs) And then it goes on. I mean, you have to read the whole thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I will. That's beautiful. So powerful. So powerful. And, And so much resonates with my experience. But then I guess my question would be, You spoke a little bit about this, and I know you spoke a a little bit about this in the Holy Spirit episode as well, but why? Why is this the structure that Christ has given to us? I mean, he can do anything. Why has he chosen to make the church to allow us to be this way, made up of sinners and led led by sinners from the first of the last until the end of time? Mm. Yeah, a mystery, inexhaustible one. I was pondering (laughs) a question very similar to this early in the week and kind of settled on and you guys can correct me, object to this, please enrich it. But the the answer that I kind of settled on was like, because God is a good father. God is a good father. And a good father wants what is good for his children, but wants his children to grow, to embrace it through their freedom. And yet knowing their weakness presents it to them in an attractive way. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I, Julie, have been talking lately about our parents in light of your own experience of starting parenthood and all of the amazing gifts and disciplines and the wisdom that they have in in their in their parenthood. And this is one that I see very clearly in them, that they wanted us to choose in our freedom the good, and yet aware of our weakness, they presented it to us in a way that was attractive, right? And God the Father does no less. And so in order to reach us, in order to have salvation reach us, like he chooses witnesses to send forth into the world so that no matter who you are and what background, you can have an encounter with Christ that is suited to your own heart, that is through a face that you find attractive, that is through a life that you desire for yourself. So you can embrace in your freedom, but you're not left on your own. There is a presence in front of you in the flesh that can draw your heart and show you that Christ is calling you to, that the Father is trying to demonstrate his preference for you and his desire for you too to join his assembly. This assembly, this people of God that began with his election of the people of Israel. Yeah, that makes me think of the scripture, what kind of father when his son asks for bread will give him instead a serpent and like what more do you expect? From the Holy Father. And often we can think like that, to think that God isn't a good father and doesn't desire our good. Or we can act as if we think that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As if he has abandoned the world. 
and as if he has only chosen some for their own salvation, but has left the rest of the world kind of to its own devices. Um, but actually, like, his preference of a few is for the sake of all. He is a good father to all. And that's kind of scandalizing to to claim that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, as you said, Sophia, it's an inexhaustible mystery. But what's, what sticks with me in this particular moment is that he has set up his church in this way for many of the same reasons that he became man and he became a poor man, a despised man, and he died on a cross instead of rising to political power and taking over. I mean, these are all things that we don't understand and we we might say there would be a more glorious, a more perfect way of doing this. And yet his way of working through the world in his incarnation and now in the church, it reveals his love for our humanity and for our littleness and mm-hmm. that he meets us even in our sin. He doesn't love our sin, but even that is not an obstacle. And to me, this shows me that to become holier, I need to become more human, not less. Like I need to become the fullness of who God made me to be. I don't need to abandon that at the door and become some other model of some perfect person, but rather he has already called me to be that in every way that I'm not is a distortion. Um, yeah. And it's also just a great mercy. Like this is the mercy of a good father, as you were both saying. He allows our littleness to be a path to him and not an obstacle. Like that is mercy. Yes. And absolutely belief in the church as the body of Christ is akin to belief in the incarnation and recognition of Jesus descending as son of God among us and leaving his body mystically present to like be with us and everything. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. It's, it's offensive. It's an offensive claim, just like the incarnation was. Yeah. And to return to today's gospel, like he didn't come to bring peace, but division to separate us from ideology, from impurities, from anything that could hold us back from the father's embrace. But what that feels like is a sword cutting us in two, cutting our families apart. Yeah. Just like the incarnation, though, you see the fruits of God's method. It's verified in the way that history has changed, that God's humility and choice of this unthinkable event to save the world, this unthinkable method of continuing his presence, like you see, you see in the fruits that it truly is a divine wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things that guards me against an attitude that I used to have and would otherwise be very tempted to have, an attitude of suspicion and despair, honestly, over the scandals in the church and the the sinful people in the church, right? Yeah. Because I'm also so aware of my own sin, as we were talking about earlier, but also the saints in the church, like my next door neighbor and the people that I see at mass, like my own friends. Like it's, it's because I see that, through belonging to the church, he changes their life and turns them into more themselves, Julie, as you were saying, but like saints, <laughs> that I'm not scandalized and and not despairing, rather, at the sin in the church. Yeah, I do think that the love for the church can be and it is at times a suffering love, but as all true love is, anyone who's married would know that too, you know? <laughs> This is implicit in what both of you are saying, but I also want to make it explicit that we're absolutely not saying that the great sins of the church and those who claim to belong to the church, it's some sort of necessary evil yeah. um, that these 
these horrible wounds need to be happening because Christ has ordained it in this way. Absolutely not. You know, I know we all grieve over these wounds very deeply and it causes us immense harm and immense pain as it does for everybody who belongs to the church. Sophia, you said like sorrow and suffering, but not despair. And I think that's the key difference there. Christ himself sorrows over the wounds, very deeply over the wounds caused by the members of his church. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think back to what Sophia said earlier, like permitting the continued sin of Jesus's followers and those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. What undergirds that is God's deep love for our freedom. Yeah. We we have the sin, not not the church. I think another essential premise is that to be able to verify the truth of the presence of the divinity in the church, that the church is the continuation of Christ, it takes time and it takes openness. There actually needs to be a radical openness to life, to sharing in this life of the church that we're talking about. Because I I think all the time about the people in the Gospels who came face to face with Christ and didn't recognize him as the Messiah. Mm. Like, would that have been me? In a lot of times of my life, probably today, I sincerely hope not. But yeah, I see the same thing in relationship to the church. And I think this openness is particularly hard when as I did as a teenager, so commonly the church is reduced to a sociological construct or a political reality or an association of people who try to live by good values. Like, no, when this is the reduction of the church that's proclaimed, it's even harder for people to be open to the church in a manner that's conducive to being able to verify that she really is. She really is what she claims to be. Yeah. In my own experience, I think of the gospel, like I didn't come for the healthy, but rather the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous. That my own like openness of heart was precipitated by a recognition of my own need for God and my own sinfulness, my inability to save myself. And I think I had been to confession Well, I had done my first confession, and I never again went to confession until I was 20 years old. So a long time. Actually, in my poor catechesis, I didn't even know that you were asked to go to confession every year. I just thought it was sort of like a a sideline sacrament. For our listeners that don't know, you are deeply invited from my own experience to go to confession more than once a year, but at least once a year. Um, And in confession – one time hearing the priest in the words of Christ saying, your sins are forgiven. And just being so struck by like, how can you say that? Mm. Like this priest as the man, I haven't offended you. I don't even know who you are. I can't see you right now. And you can't see me. And yet you are speaking with authority that you have the power to forgive my sins. And even the person I've offended can offer me forgiveness, but can't objectively forgive my sin. And meeting that reality also made me so aware of that desire that the possibility of true forgiveness, a true conversion was out there. Yeah. I think that's not anywhere else in the world. No one else claims that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I desire to never take for granted that possibility. Because it is exceptional, as we talked about on our Mercy episode, which if you haven't listened to, I invite you to go to go listen to that one. 
But yeah, I mean, this is, I was pondering, like, what does it mean that the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic? Like, what sets her apart? And I think your answer is an essential part of it, that because she is the presence and therefore the authority of Christ on earth now, she has the power to bind and loose sins and to set us free. Mm. And I I was always struck by when I was living with Julian Frank in California, one of the priests at uh, the church where I went to daily mass would call the church, Holy Church. Every time he referred to the church, it was Holy Church, Father Nick, Julie. And he would start every mass by saying, friends, Holy Church today gives. And then he would either talk about like the saint for the day or the readings for the day and saying like, Holy Church is giving you this. And it really built my awareness of how in moments of mercy, like the sacraments of confession, but also this mater and magistra, she is a mother and she's a teacher, that she continually gives me the nourishment that I need to continue following Christ. This is nourishment that's given throughout the entire world to every single member of the body of Christ, the same suited to their particular conditions, but the same each day. And this is how they are brought to conversion. They are enabled to experience the hundredfold here below of a life that is holy in the sense that they are fulfilled. Yeah. And so to never take that for granted that she, this life that we're talking about that God raises up in the church is holy. It is unlike anything we encounter anywhere else. I love the image of the church as mother and teacher. And that so resonates in my own personal experience. Two of the most foundational roles that a mother plays in the life of her child is that she gives life in cooperation with God, the creator, of course, but she she gives birth and then she nourishes. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what the church has done to each one of us. She has given us new life in our baptism and then she continually nourishes us through our childhood and then our adult life until the day that we die. And I think, especially now, you referenced this earlier, Sophia, but just growing up and seeing parenthood more clearly than we did as a child, I think one of the most beautiful realizations for me has been everything that my mother has done for me, that my mother did for me without me ever knowing, and that honestly I have no memory of. Yeah. All the sacrifices, the love, the food she made me, the fun things she planned for me, the lessons that she taught me, everything. And I look back in my relationship with the church, and it's the same. I mean, I was baptized. I was one month old. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no consciousness, basically. False. Sophia is cringing. But But the point is, like, I I didn't do anything. I didn't even understand what it was. And when I received my first communion, I hope and I pray I I had the proper understanding. But I was still only, how old? Like seven or eight. And then I was confirmed at age 12 or 13. I mean, I was a child. And yet I was being nourished and given birth to by my mother without me having the full understanding of it. And now as an adult, I can look back with immense gratitude and it fosters my, you know, my life in the church. It fosters my trust and my hope today, my trust in the church, my trust in her lessons that I might not understand today Mm -hmm. because the church has been faithful to me my whole life and has been teaching me and sustaining me just like my own mother. And 
anyway, this, this image is so moving to me and I really feel that the love that I have for the church is the love of a child for her mother and the trust and the familiarity that I have in the arms of the church is, is the way that a child feels in the arms of her mother. Like this image is so true to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me as well. And it's definitely such a grace for those who can really live with the church as like a good mother, because I think anytime there are confusing teachings or things I don't understand, or maybe would innately even want to disobey, I can rest securely that the church desires my good and then discern with openness because of that, rather than mm -hmm. a mode of suspicion as being my motive. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking while you were talking, Julie, of like the point of this giving birth is Father Giussani would say like experiencing the hundredfold, ultimately paradise, like eternal relationship with the father, but the hundredfold now and that not being like the prosperity gospel. We're not saying like follow God and good things will happen to you. Actually, following Jesus is following the way of the cross. Yeah, I was about to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But that there's like a deep abiding joy, which we've also talked about on a previous episode, in discipleship because our beings like existentially are made for relationship with God. We're created in his image and likeness and we won't be satisfied with anything else. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like, what are your experiences of the hundredfold? in the church in life now? Mm. Many. <laughs> Being as the church is the place of my encounter with Christ. So insofar as I experienced a hundredfold, all of them. But <laughs> I think one that's, that was on my mind this last week was my experience of friendship with the CL community in Cambridge. They are an extraordinary group of people. Many of them are parents of young children. And... Over time, as I've gotten to know them and I've been welcomed generously into sharing their life, I've been able to see how they truly share everything with one another, like in the manner of the Acts of the Apostles, like breaking bread together, taking care of their children together, consoling one another in in suffering and in need, um, trying to find work with one another. Like, And it's not like a, oh, well, I guess this person belongs to me, so I, so I should act like this. But it's a spontaneous tendency that they freely act on in recognition that this is what they desire, is this presence of Christ to accompany them in everything. Yeah, and it's been such a gift to be made the recipient of that and to see that it, we've actually had people remark on it like, how is it that you have such a unity among you? Because families these days are so isolated. Mm. This comment recurrently comes up because it truly is astonishing. Their witness is astonishing in an age of, as we've talked about before, so much isolation and individualism and um, uprootedness, fragmentation of society to have this impossible unity among them where they truly love one another as much as they love their own lives. It's something that, Adriana, as you were saying, that we all desire. Hmm. That's a really beautiful example, Sophia. I guess what comes to mind in my experience of the recent months has been how grateful I am for the path that the church lays out for me. Um, because 
in following that path and in particular going deeper into my vocation to marriage and family life, um, I have seen that that is where joy is for me, that Mm -hmm. the most authentic and lasting joy that I've experienced comes from laying down my life for my family and making every sacrifice for them and not from all of the distractions of the external world. Not that those things are bad, but that living in the heart of the church allows me to live all of those things also freely and with an, with joy for what they are and not um, not in a distorted way. And I, I think that this is these fruits in my life are only because of my participation in the church and Christ's teaching to me through the church. Because without them, I know myself and I would be chasing all of these other things and I would be lost and I would be deeply dissatisfied um, because that's how I am. I have this restless heart and um, yeah. And so I think my certainty in this and what allows me to keep walking this path is that I tried it and my experience verified that it was true for me. My experience verified that the path that the church proposes in terms of Christian community, daily prayer, the sacraments, service to God through the vocation that he calls you to, it did bring me joy. And so now I can continue adhering to those um, even when I when I want to give up, even when I can't see particularly clearly in that particular moment because I can trust the church. I, I know that that is how Christ reaches me. And I know that if I follow, he is true and he provides for me and he sustains me. I love what you're saying, like that through your experience in the church, you've come to see that the cross is beautiful mm-hmm. and that that's like an actual experience for you. And that is incoherent for the world. Yeah. I think for me, so much of we've spoken about the priesthood, part of my conversion or even just like education into the church, like why do we propose the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and state like the fullness of truth is here? I I have friends that think that's arrogant or non-inclusive. Yeah. And my first just sort of initial thought is of this quote by St. Therese of Lisieux is like about a flower in a field that isn't afraid to acknowledge her own, like won't pretend she's got a bruised stem if she doesn't have one Mm. or that her petals are less lustrous or like... Humility is truthfulness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's because of the apostolic authority like invested through Jesus in giving the power to bind and loosen sins um, the keys to the kingdom to Peter that is symbolically and actually transferred in the succession of popes and in the institution of the priesthood that we can rest in this reality and we don't have to be afraid or mm-hmm. or need to sort of like glamorize the church more or make it more worldly attractive looking to see like can't you see that this is the best place to come yeah it's not because of that we need a better website that's all (laughs) yeah yeah it's because jesus gave the keys to peter and established him as the first pope and that that is passed on that we can rest in that reality and i think it's so evident to me when i see good priests and good bishops that i too and like what you're talking about the installation of this new pastor at St. Joe, that like he's been chosen by Christ to be that symbol of unity and to shepherd his people 
and that we need a unity mm-hmm. because we have such a disobedient will without a uniformity and a unity. Like we're just so tempted to divide. And I, I think that you see that in Protestantism in the number of denominations that now exist. Yeah. I see that same temptation in my own heart when I encounter a charism within the Catholic Church that is not my own. (laughs) And I won't name any names because they're all brothers and sisters, collaborators in the vineyard. But sometimes I can be really uncomfortable and have this same mentality of like, oh, well, maybe just you have to sum us all up to get the church and we can be autonomous and separate from one another. And that's fine. But that's a lie, because to go back to the image of capillaries, like, No, we are all we all must be connected to the same heart if our life is going to be one. And so to actually do the work of verifying this person from XYZ religious order or charism, like they, too, have encountered a capillary that brings the nutrients from that same heart to them. But it might just be on a very other side of the body. And so it's hard (laughs) for me to see, like, exactly the correspondence to my own experience. But to see that, like, exactly as you're saying, these are particularities that make us capable of receiving the whole. And our unity is essential there. And as you said, like, this can be scandalous. It can be like, okay, well, great. You're in the one true church. Like, what about everybody else? And for me, this gets to another another potential reduction of the church that I'm tempted to. But is this sort of self-referentiality or this insularity rather than our identity as missionaries that we yeah. have? Jusani has this devastatingly true line about our faith where he says, The only adequate, all-embracing motive for our faith is that we have now become the means of communicating to others what we have been told. So we have received the faith precisely so that we can become now the channel for the Lord. As we said, this is his method to choose faces for the Lord to reach others. That, for me, resolves the discomfort that I would otherwise feel at the claim that the church makes about her identity. Mm-hmm. That's such an important move in the mission of the church. Like it's for the divinization of the person, but our call in baptism is to go out and baptize and make disciples of all the nations. And that's the call for me. That's the call for you, Sophia, and you, Juliana. And it's so like unrecognized, even in so many churches, that like each individual person there, you are supposed to be sharing the gospel everywhere you are we're told at the end of every mass if if the priest follows the missile yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just uh, on this point sophia i a, a few years ago i did some work on behalf of the church and a lot of it involved studying and and then communicating the history of catholic education this was an experience that was moving to me and kind of radicalizing in a way just hearing the church articulate how she perceives the education and the baptizing of all nations, as Adriana was saying, as a divine command from Christ himself. And that has given life to all of these initiatives and institutions and projects from the heart of the church throughout the centuries that I think we don't even appreciate, fully appreciate today how much the church is behind the modern system of education and all basically all of private schools in the United States. Hospitals. Hospitals, yeah, I was going to say. 
Well, yeah, hospitals too. I mean, my project was specifically on on Catholic education, but um, and, and you can see the saints that are made from this—the saints that gave their lives to making disciples in this form of education—and the saints that came from that. Um, and I think Sophia, that goes to your point about the fruits of the life of the church. Um, yeah, studying studying this particular aspect of the church's history. I mean, there's so much we could say about this, but it really changed my own experience and my own view of myself. And my role in going and making disciples of all nations as a member of the church, as a baptized Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think education is such an important way that we do that. And uh, shout out my girl, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one other thing I wanted to say, and I don't have all of this worked out, but that the church's nature expresses the triune nature of God. There was a line in in my rereading of Lumen Gentium that really struck me that like God is will to make men holy and save them not as individuals but as a people. Mm. And we see that in Israel first and then now in the church. And it even goes on to say like with not as individuals who have no bond or link between them. Ooh, yeah. And that expresses the nature of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the lover, beloved, and the love shared between them, that link of the Holy Spirit of their of their love, it can't be as individuals. There there would be no lover and beloved and, and shared love. It has to be as a people. Yeah. And that too, like so corresponds to my own reality. Like that I'm I need relationship. I am converted by relationship. Mm-hmm. My deepest self-awareness is through relationship rather than me sitting in a room by myself for eternity, like, or staring in a mirror, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, I don't come yeah. to a deeper self-awareness through that. Sophia and I always talk about this. Like, I would be the most loving and patient person in a room by myself. My <laughs> like, <laughs> I would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in relationship that I'm called to a higher love um, and that I receive a higher love. Yeah. Or even the need for an other, an other capital O, um, to be yourself, um, that you don't truly become an I until you say you. And I think we see this with the church, too, that there there is an other for God to love because otherwise it wouldn't be love. This is why I think the Bible ends with with this begging, come Lord Jesus. And in Revelation talks about the bride and the spirit saying, come. Like Mm -hmm. this is the church's identity on earth is to beg for finally the fulfillment of the love that has been given to her um, for that to be brought to consummation. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing that up, Adriana. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be a good place for us to close too, begging the Lord to come. Indeed. I have a media recommendation for our listeners it is another playlist but don't be alarmed you listeners who have a distaste for choral music this one is not (laughs) (laughs) it's all kinds of different popular songs folk songs rock music that reminded me of the church and i have invited our co-hosts here to collaborate with me on the playlist so you'll see additions from them as well a lot of songs that capture various aspects that we've been talking about yeah teacher mother bride companionship of 
sinful, weak people. <laughs> Please feel free to, to send us an email with any further recommendations you have for the playlist. But I had a lot of fun making it. So do let me know what you think. Thank you, Sophia. For the monthly challenge, I'd... Or not monthly... What? It says monthly. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, monthly. monthly. Oh, it's, it's monthly, not even yeah. weekly anymore. I've been putting that on the show notes and the website. So. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm behind as usual. <laughs> <laughs> For the monthly challenge, we've changed it from our weekly challenge. I'd like to invite everyone to read Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the church promulgated by Vatican II. Mm. I really think it's one of the most important documents on the church. We're coming up on the 60th anniversary of Vatican II. And, you know, there's only been like 20 or so ecumenical councils ever. And the one before Vatican II was like 500 years ago, the Council of Trent. So we're only just now coming to live in the fruits of Vatican II. Yeah. And every Catholic should be like really deeply rooted in in the documents of Vatican II, and I think especially Lumen Gentium, to like look again at how we're we're being invited to live the church. And there's so there's so much on the priesthood, but there's so much on the laity that was even just like I hadn't read it in a couple of years. That was really beautiful. So I'd really invite you to read it. It's available for free on the Vatican website, and it will also be linked in our show notes. Thank you. Can I add a gloss? Yes. In the spirit of the companionship of believers, maybe you can invite a friend. <laughs> also, you, it's a monthly challenge instead of weekly, so you really have no excuse yeah, you not have to month. do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've really enjoyed being with you today. And as I mentioned before, we have a website with archives of all our media recommendations and weekly challenges. So be sure to check it out at pilgrimsoulpodcast.com. We will also be sure to post a translation of the beautiful poem by Carlo Carretto that Julie mentioned before. Um, and you can also write to us with your own thoughts either at the website or through pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Know of our prayers for you, and we'll see you next month. 